This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute, so thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, to everybody on YouTube and out on the podcast, welcome back. Um, Brian Stewart, we're, we're here going to jump into Isaiah 50 to 57. And like always, we'll probably just sink our teeth into a couple of places and not have time to get to most of it there that's there. But um, I actually want to spring something on you first. Okay. Um, I want to know your opinion, and I know you have an opinion on this. I know you I'm have an opinion, opinion. <laughs> but you do on this. You have an opinion on this. Um, I'm curious, what's your, what are your thoughts about the three Isaiahs, or the two Isaiahs, or the, 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 right. the different writers? Right. Um, and let me just... Let me, better explain it. Let me give, so yeah, let me give some context for, yeah. for those of you that, that aren't as familiar with it. Um, there are, there's a theory out there based on, because of context, and because of tone, and because there's several different writing style reasons that people have come to the conclusion that there's not one Isaiah, that there's not one author, that several different people, either two different people or three different people, depending on which of the theories you, you hold to, uh, that there are different individuals writing about it. Um, and so I'm just curious, what are your, what are your thoughts? Um, mine are pretty basic. When I like first read and studied about this and stuff, uh, I was getting my master's degree at, at BYU, and uh, I had never heard it. So they're like, hey, there's, you know, it's these chapters, and I was like, oh, okay. And I like really didn't think that much of it because there's a whole bunch of other places in the Old Testament where people had explained like, well, this is what other people believe and this is what higher criticism says mm-hmm. and writes and stuff. And for most of those things, I just took it with a grain of salt and I said, oh, it's an interesting viewpoint. Uh, but for me, with personally, with some of those ideas, uh, it, it just makes me think of uh, something it says in the Bible dictionary under the Pauline epistles uh, about Hebrews. And it says that though the writing or the style is a little different than most of Paul's other epistles, it says the ideas, the doctrine, and the flow of it is most certainly Paul's. And I, I liked that idea just, and that's, you know, for the epistles, but I kind of think that a little bit about Isaiah. I wonder if it's like, maybe it's a different student of his, and that could be some mm-hmm. of the different flow or something like that. And I, I don't necessarily get too wrapped up of, well, he, this one wrote it here, and this one wrote it here later on and stuff. I, I look at the ideas, and you realize, okay, he's speaking about Redeemer more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. He's speaking about Jesus Christ messianically delivering the people anciently in the time of Jesus and then futurely. I'm like, the ideas are most certainly Isaiah's, and there is a certain flow that comes with them. So that's my basic that's, thought with it. I, I, I guess I, as I've looked at it, one of the things that I've, I've kind of settled on is the fact I just don't, I'm not sure that it matters. I think that's one of the things that I, it is one of those things that maybe in the academic world because we have to think you look for your niche and we have to yeah in. we have yeah. to find something that nobody's ever found before and uh, when you're studying Isaiah I, I, you have to give credence and, and obviously it does seem like the tone changes mm-hmm. you get early on you have kind of this harsh calling to repentance later on you have. Uh, in, in the middle chapters, you've got kind of this loving, come back and softer, a much yeah. softer sound to it. But I guess I, as a dad, I have all kinds of tones that I use with my kids. Yeah. 
You know, I, I don't always talk to my kids like I'm mad at them. They, they probably say <laughs> that, that I that do. That could be their perception. Maybe, but, but I don't. I, there are times that I'm joking with them. There are times, and I, I can just see Isaiah over the course of his lifetime taking on different tones. And then the other, you know, with regards to Isaiah writing about things that won't happen until 75 years later or 100 years later, and that's, I, to me, I, it's kind of like, that's kind of the role of a prophet. I, I shouldn't be surprised if a prophet writes about things that happen after he's no longer around. Yeah. Like, that's what I—that's what I want as a watchman on the tower, as somebody who can see things that are beyond what yeah. I can see. Absolutely, and and just relating that, I mean, upcoming here in a few days is general conference. Um, you can listen to talks from different members of the Quorum of the Twelve or First Presidency, and there's some that are a little bit more lighthearted and and. The message is still strong and the doctrine is still powerful, but their presentation of that doctrine or the message is maybe wrapped around or couched around like a funny story, something that happened to them or their family or something that they heard. And then other times it's just, here it is. I'm laying out the doctrine and, you know, I'm going to get after you a little bit. Well, I I had an experience. I was at the UVU Institute when President Dallin H. Oaks came. Not at all the persona or the tone, to use the, the term that, that academics use with this, it wasn't at all the tone I was used to from President Oaks at General Conference. Uh, we, later on, we had another experience with him in our stake, where he, he came to a, a stake thing that we, were, that we went to, or a, maybe it was a regional thing. And, and again, a very, a very different President Oaks from either of the other two. So here's the same person with three different tones, and a lot of it had to do with audience. So some of the changes in Isaiah's tone or topic or, uh, or, or other things that people might look at as indicating a different writer could simply be a different tone. Yeah. Or sorry, I, it, it could be because of a different audience. Audience, who, yeah. who he's focusing on. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, well, I just wanted to That's great. get your, get your three great, bits great on that. Great thing to understand, and, and there might be people who bring that up or hear something about it. And, I mean, it's just something for your G-Wiz file. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like I say, I don't, I don't know that it makes a hill of beans as far as it would be a shame to lose the content in an argument over who wrote it. Right, right. Um, Speaking uh, of the content, do you want to get started? Yeah, here, Jump in. here we go. There's, uh, I, I find myself sometimes as we're, as we're looking through some of these Come Follow Me uh, lessons and stuff, trying to come up with a little bit of a theme, or sometimes one just comes, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not even one I, I necessarily mention, but it's, it's one that sticks out to me. Uh, and, and this time as I was reading through some of these chapters, I was just thinking about the dedication of Christ. Mm. And there's a couple of times in there, and, and we'll probably talk about a few of them, but just about how dedicated He is. And, and with that idea, there's uh, um, in chapter 51, in verses 9 and 10, it says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Now this awake is like the people pleading to the Lord, will you please wake up? There's other times in this chapter later on, like for instance in verse 17, it says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. The Lord is then switching it and He says, you wake you up. Wake up. I, I'm awake. In, yes. And in 52 in verse 1, in, uh, verse one He says, you wake up. So he says, saying it again, but I, I, just this part here says, Awake. So this is us pleading to the Lord in 9 and 10. He says, Awake as in ancient days in the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Uh, Rahab was this uh, a mythical sea creature. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so the only Rahab we really understand or think about in the, in the Old Testament is the one who helped the spies in Jericho. Mm-hmm. But this Rahab is, is this mythical sea creature uh, that just was a, a master of chaos. And the Lord, Jehovah, is the one who changes chaos into cosmos or organization, oh, yeah. cosmopolitan. Right? That's where those words are coming from. So he's saying, aren't you the one that beat down the dragon? And, and the idea then is connected. Rahab is also a symbolic way for um, these, uh, these Israelites that they would call um, Egypt. Because then it's connected in verse 10. He says, Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass over? It's a direct correlation of, you saved us from Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it's these people in their lives who are feeling like, where are you? You are sleeping on me. I need deliverance right now in my life, and I feel like you've abandoned me, that nobody is really there, which is so interesting now that the Lord, in the rest of the, the chapter, where it kind of switches gears, and he says, You're wait, you wake up. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a teaching idea, and I'll get back to just kind of finish up this thought, but a teaching idea would be um, I'd, I'd invite a couple people, set some alarms on their phones, and I'd tell them to, like, okay, set an alarm to go off in class, like, five minutes after we start, you set one off, go 10 minutes after we start, and then either let them keep going, you, you can play with it or change it however you want, but just have the alarm just going off and off and off. It's like, why do you have alarms? Wake us up to change my attention to something else, to get me going, to make sure I'm focusing on a new task or something I have at hand. There, there's times that I'll get wrapped up into a book and I will set an alarm on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I will stop looking at the clock. So when the alarm goes off, I'm like, oh, I got to, I need to stop reading. Most of the time it's to wake up in the morning, but there's other times where it's like, I need to switch it up. And, and so that would be just a, a, a fun little teaching thing for kids or a family or even a class to say, why are we setting these alarms up? Why are we, um, how might we be sleeping? And, and in this, uh, this verse here in, in 52 and 1 and 2, it says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem the holy city, from henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And, and I love that the Lord is inviting them to put on the authority of the priesthood. Honor your covenants. Get out of the dirt. You no longer need to be there. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but just a couple of days ago, we brought up or were talking about... Um, the story with Jesus calming the sea mm-hmm. and he's sleeping in the ship. Yep. And uh, in, in Mark 4, there's one of those tellings of it. And, uh, and they wake up Jesus and they say, carest thou not that we perish? And you, ha- you said something great that just stuck out to me. Um, their concern was, do you not care about me? We are about to, dr- to, to drown here in the sea. And one of the things that you said was something along the lines of, Jesus caring about you is a non-negotiable. The idea that Jesus is sleeping through anything that you're going through is a non-negotiable. And I thought to myself as I connected this to that story in Mark, I thought, who was really sleeping in the boat? Mm. It's not really the master. It's not really Jesus who has forgotten. Oh yeah, I forgot I delivered Israel and I forgot I parted the Red Sea. He knows all of that. He is not taking a snooze or a vacation on them. It's us. These people are lying in the dust. They're, they're 
they are in a bands of iniquity or of troubles. And so I, I love that idea then to maybe focus on that. How might people be spiritually sleeping? Mm-hmm. In what ways does the Lord want you to wake up? How in the past has the Lord helped you wake up? What are the alarms in your life that help you just get your attention back on track? Because most of the time, it's us. Yeah. We're the ones I, who are sleeping. And even I just think about just, just the term, wake up, and, and to talk about the conversation, especially with teenagers or young adults, I, that conversation of when might you look at someone who's awake and say, wake up? Mm. Like what, what kinds of things would be going on that, where you would tell somebody that's already awake that it's time for them to wake up and, you know, wake up and smell the roses or, or whatever it might be that, you know, finish that sentence. There's any number of things that can cause us to, to lose our focus on where it should be. And I, I do like the Mark four, the Mark four connection. One of the thoughts I had as I was teaching this uh, as it goes through these different things and it talks about what Jesus is going to do, especially later on in 53. Um, and, I, and I don't know that we need to go there into depth yet because I'm sure we both have some things from there. But as it goes through those early verses, I remember having a conversation with a, a group of ninth graders and bringing up the fact that a lot of biblical scholars, uh, we've been kind of harsh on the, crit- on the <laughs> academics today, <laughs> Sometimes uh, they need to. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they need to wake up, I guess. And this is one yeah. of the things that I would argue, I, tooth and nail, I, I've heard biblical scholars say, and, and it's accepted throughout most Old Testament studies, that Jesus Christ is not, is not a part of the Old Testament. That, there is no, that, that if you see Christ in the Old Testament, it's because as a Christian you're reading him into it. And I, and I, I have a, a good friend, uh, Patrick Dane, who he just, he just embraced that. He's like, you're right, I do. I read Christ into everything I can. But this is one of those things that I just had them search the first seven, eight verses and say, what verse is, which verse speaks to you the most of Jesus? Here's an Old Testament passage. This, when I, when I hear people say there's no Jesus in the Old Testament, these are the verses I go to. I'm like, this, this is the suffering Messiah. This is not the military Messiah that that New Testament Jews uh, and were waiting for. You know, we, we say, well, they didn't, they didn't anticipate this meek, lowly. They wanted someone militarily to come in and, and free them from the Roman rule. Well, to me, this is the suffering Messiah. This is the Messiah they should have been waiting for, and, and the Isaiah is one of the reasons that they should have been ready for him. Yeah. And so I would just, I, I think there's, I remember, like I say, I was with ninth graders, and so this is about as young as you get in the seminary group, and the, the conversation that we had when they started saying, you know, the man of sorrow, you know, um, that reminds me of Jesus because, or he bore our griefs, or he carried our sorrows, uh, the very end of verse 5, with his stripes were healed. And just to have the, that conversation about you know, which of these verses do you connect with most? Uh, which of these has Jesus already done for you? Is he doing for you? Which of these are you the most grateful for? Um, and to draw this, to take this Old Testament verse and to take it into the New Testament and then even further bring it into our own lives and say, which of these actions, which of these things is Christ doing for us right now? Um, I think it makes the conversation about Isaiah 53 way more... Um, relevant, way more interesting, and, and real for, for the people that we might be having those conversations with. 
Yeah, I, I love that. So just out of that, Brian, let me just ask you, do you have a, a favorite phrase? Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to choose one yeah. out of fifty three there, but I was just thinking that as you're talking, I'm like, I'm not sure I can pick mine yet. So I was gonna give you the first one. Okay, so I I'm fascinated with some of the backgrounds of this. Um, in three and four, it says so. A man, verse three, about halfway through verse three, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And um, the Living Bible, there's just a couple of translations, different translations or notes that I've really they've kind of opened this up to me. The Living Bible says we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. And there's a note in the Jerusalem Bible that said this particular expression, hid as it were our faces from him, is used, um, let's see, is used specifically in reference to people with leprosy. Hmm. So the way people would treat lepers. Yeah. And then and then at the very end of verse four, the word stricken is actually it's it's used over and over again, but mostly in the book of Leviticus, with regards to the mental anguish hmm. that people would go through when they were diagnosed with, with leprosy. And so this idea of Christ Christ could have come to the earth in any position, any role he wanted. And, and you go to the Doctrine and Covenants and talk about it. he descended below them all. There is no class of citizen. There is no, there is no group that is lower on the podium, on, on the popularity pole or, or whatever, you, that, that social class structure of the Old Testament. There's no one lower than that than the lepers. Yeah. And Isaiah uses, he, he pulls on that very specifically to say, there's no one he doesn't understand. And I, I've, you know, I've been, I've been, everybody's been through their own kind of, uh, you know, their own Gethsemanes, their own, their own pressure points and, and trials and, and everybody carries their own crosses. And although I may not admit this in the moment of those trials, but as an objective third party looking in on my own life, I've never been that low. I've never experienced the mental anguish of of a doctor sitting across the table from me and saying, it's terminal. Or, or maybe even worse, sitting next to my companion while he says, it's terminal. Um, or to one of my children. Or it, I, I think of some of those worst case scenarios that, that some people have had to go through. And this idea, I, I love those two phrases. We hit as it were his faces. He was stricken and smitten of God. This this idea that he is he he knows what it's like to be the lowest of low he knows he knows those those worst moments of our lives and and to back what you were saying at the beginning he's not sleeping through those moments even though in our panic and in our 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 haste we might look around and, and not see him there he's not asleep yeah I, I love that and, and and I think that's the that's a key part there for me if I'm pulling something through all of this, I, I would focus on what are the times in life we feel like the Lord has been sleeping on us and and then go here to 53 and say, here's proof that he hasn't yeah. and that he won't. And when have you seen that? He's always been awake for you. I, I, I think, uh, it, again, it's tough to pick a favorite, 
but in, in four, when it's talking about he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that idea that he is, that he carries them away from us. That there's this, him almost, this moving company, so to speak, where he's hauling all of our stuff away. And he says, that's not yours anymore. That's not yours anymore. That's not yours anymore. Um, and then at the end where he says, with his stripes we're healed. That uh, when Jesus is, is, is whipped there before his crucifixion, that's, you know, and I think it's in Jesus the Christ, though you're the expert on that. He says that it was often worse than the crucifixion for some people um, as they would uh, um, whip them. And, and just because he is, he receives those stripes on our behalf, you're healed because the stripe doesn't go to you. The stripe is his now. He took your burden. He took your sorrow. He took your pain. And, and that idea of that's, that's how you're healed. And, and so for me, again, that phrase that I mentioned at the beginning, this idea of the dedication of Jesus, mm-hmm. that you look through this and, and I, I feel that. I feel that Jesus is dedicated. Why is it that he can go through all of this? Wait, he's, he's dedicated. He's dedicated to me. Um, with, with that dedication, just maybe one of the other interesting points I, I saw or taught or was learned or whatever uh, was in uh, chapter 50. Um, and, and it says this, the, and this is in verse 4. 4 and 5 all kind of relate, but 4 through 7 also talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And these verses, I think, relate really well to 53 as well. So it says in 4, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning, and I love that we've talked about waking up. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And you have this idea like, how do you wake up an ear? Well, it says in this next verse in 5, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Hmm. These verses are are speaking about what Jesus Christ has done, but there's also a connection there for us in terms of how can I be like this flint. Mm -hmm. But the main point of them is, is saying that this is what Jesus has done. So when it says that the Lord has opened his ear... There's, uh, and, and this is back in, in Exodus, in chapter 21. Um, it says, uh, it, the section, or the chapter heading of 21 says, the Lord reveals his laws pertaining to servants, and then other things. But the idea is here with servants. Isaiah 53 is often called the suffering servant. So this idea about what servants are. So in, in 21, um, it says that if you buy, in, in verse 2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, six years he can serve. And then the seventh, you, you have to let him go. He's free. Um, if he came in by himself, he goes out by himself. If he brought in a wife, he leaves with his wife. However, if the master gives him a wife and she, they have kids, then the wife and the kids are also the master. So if you want to go, you can go on the seventh year. And here's the point. In verse 5, it says, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, my children, my family, I will not go out free. I won't just go do what I want. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the door post. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. What they would do 
is they would take an awl and they would just literally bore a hole into their ear and so you had a big gaping hole in your ear and you said that meant your shot to leave was done. Mm -hmm. You are now part of this master's family and you cannot leave forever. And when I first read that in Exodus, I thought, what servant would ever do that? Why? Would that you? sounds painful. You, walk, you see people with these big eight gauges mm -hmm. in their ears and stuff, and I'm like, ah, that looks just brutal. And even if they're like, well, I don't want gauges anymore, then they got the elephant ears hanging uh -huh. down afterwards, you know? Yep. And, and I thought, this is the Lord. He's the one, like, he opens his ear. To open his ear, meaning he bored a hole in it. He opened up a hole into his ear, not just listening. Jesus said, I'll be your servant, God, to my Father. Here Why would I, he do it? Here am I, send me. Because of the wife and because of the kids. He says, that's my family. I will go to them. And this idea that Jesus could have been free. He could have done whatever he wanted. The God of this, of this world, the creation, all of those things is the Savior. He could be free. And he says, I'll go back for them. I am all in. A servant that does this is 100% in the dedication of Jesus. And so that, that connection there for me, I just thought I wasn't rebellious, neither turned away back. He willingly laid down. And that idea of boring into a post, that's exactly what the nails of the cross were. Crusted. So that, that connection the there ultimate the dedication. Yeah. And, and, that, and I love the connection to the connection to the fall of Adam and Eve and, and the difference between why Adam leaves the garden versus why Eve leaves the garden. Paul later on is going to refer to Jesus as a second Adam. Yeah. And so while certainly in, in, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in seeing Eve as a type of women, of all women, and Adam being a type of all men, I think there's, a, there's also a lesson in, in seeing Adam as a type of Christ and Eve as the type for all of us as, mortal, as mortals. And when God shows up in the garden and says to Adam, how'd you know you're naked? Have you partaken? And Adam said, the woman gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the difference between, you know, Eve, what have you done? Well, the serpent beguiled me. This difference of I ate the fruit because I got tricked versus Adam saying, Adam fell, that men might be. I yeah. partook of the fruit to stay with her. Mm -hmm. You know, Eve's... Eve's partaking of the fruit, and, and, and she's going to leave. And Adam is her protection. And the connection biblically, every, any, at least anyone that I can think of, any marriage symbolism that's used in the scriptures, Jesus is always the bridegroom, and the church is always the bride. Yes. And so you have, and so again, why, why subject yourself to the cross? Because of the bride. Why would you get your ear born through? Because of... The bride, the wife, the bride, yeah. and the kids. So, and you get, if you back up just a little bit, part of understanding the atonement, you see this in the Book of Mormon, the great missionaries in the Book of Mormon, one of the things that they always teach, they, they always, before you get to Christ, you always teach the fall. Uh, especially the sons of Mosiah, they, you know, teaching those, those Lamanite kings. We teach the creation, the fall, and then the atonement. Well, part of understanding the atonement, you can't understand that until you understand your fallen nature. And early on in verse 1, you, you get the Lord asking this question, you know, where's the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? And referencing maybe these accusations of you've, you've neglected us. You've turned your back on us. You've, you've ignored us. Where are you? You know, which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? And then this great, I think this addresses our fallen nature. Behold, your, for your iniquities, you have sold yourself. 
and for your transgressions is your mother put away. In other words, your protection in the family has been sacrificed. You've, you've forfeited it because of your behavior. And, and there's, this, there's this kind of acknowledgement. President Benson, the great quote from President Benson, that no man you know, knows, you, you don't understand how bad you want water until you're thirsty, or, or you don't want water until you're thirsty. We don't, likewise, we don't really have an appreciation for, for Christ until all of a sudden we're in the boat and our boat's rocking and rolling and we're looking in the back. Nobody cared that Jesus was sleeping when, the, when it was smooth sailing. It's when the waters get rough that we want Jesus to be not just present, not just with us, but we want him to have an influence yeah. in our lives and, and to be a presence in, in controlling this. And so for the rest of the next several chapters, this idea of being ransomed or purchased, it starts from a position of we've already sold ourselves. We are no longer our own masters. We're already the slaves. And so while some people might get, you know, get bugged by this idea of Christ buying us, it's only problematic if you don't understand our situation. We're not free men and women. Right. We've, we've sold ourselves, and, and that's everyone's condition. And, and in 52, verse 3, it says you sold yourselves for nothing. Mm-hmm. So in 51 says, well, you sold yourselves for sins. You traded sins for Jesus. And now he says you sold yourselves for not, which means sins equal. If you're like trying to figure out the cost of sins, they're worthless. Mm-hmm. They're, they're nothing. They're to good. sell yourselves for not and to sell yourself for sin is the same thing. Therefore, not is sin. Sin's worthless. Yeah. It is absolutely zero. And then you still have to look at, but you're not worthless because look at the price that has to be paid for you. And, and that's the beauty of the atonement of, this, of our Savior and the grace that he, that he freely gives to us. I, I think just a, a final thought for me, and, and if you have another one, that's great. But at the end of, of 53, when you're talking about the suffering servant who's our Savior, um, in 10 it says, he shall see his seed. His seed are the ones who listen to the prophets and listen to his testimony. Um, and then in 12, he's speaking to us. He says, therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great. He still gives you everything that he has. Mm-hmm. So it's not this idea that you're a slave for an eternity. It's that he purchases you from the bands of death and the bonds of iniquity. And then he says, and have all that I have. This is, this is a friend and a family member, not just a mean taskmaster. And when we truly wake up and listen to the Lord and clue into all of the good things he wants to give us, that's when we appreciate he's there. Yeah. I do. I, I just want to end with emphasizing what you talked about, this, this idea of our, our, our worth and the idea that um, I sell myself. We establish value. I don't know if you've ever gotten on KSL or oh, yeah. Craigslist yeah. or Facebook mm-hmm. Marketplace, whatever. I sell myself. I sell what I put what on there based on my what I think the value is, and some people overinflate what they think. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever gotten on oh, something yeah. you're like, "Are you out of your mind? Like, how do you think you're would you get that?" And other times you, you hurry and like go yeah. to the bank and get the money. You're like, like yes, right now, yep, I'm, I'm on, on my, my way. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll Venmo you now. <laughs> yes. Venmo's Venmo was made for KSL, <laughs> um, and so in fifty you get the idea of you sold yourself. Uh, Fifty two, you 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 sold yourself for not. 
And then the, when we talk about, you know, 53 is the, what the Savior is going to pay for us. And the real test of, of value, I've always thought, you know, the real, the real test of value is, is what someone's willing to pay, not what someone's asking for. It. Asking price is really irrelevant. Um, it's what someone's willing to pay. And so as you look at, as you go through all of 53, these experiences that, that Jesus will experience. He was oppressed, afflicted. Um, verse 8, he was taken from prison to judgment. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ Talmud does point out the fact that this, this essentially walks Christ through the last few hours of his mortal life. Um, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. You know, this, this connection to the two thieves, the connection to Joseph of Arimathea saying, hey, I put him in my tomb. Um, and through all of that, he didn't do anything to deserve it. There was not anything that required the Savior to experience that except, I guess to end where you started, except his commitment to his word that he gave it before any of us came here in the pre-mortal life to say, I'll go, I'll do it. This is what you've called me to, you've asked me to do, I'll do it. And uh, I just, this, this conversation as you're having this in your homes or with your friends or, or in the wards, if, if this conversation of all of Isaiah, if it's not centered squarely on the shoulders of Jesus, we, we've missed out. Um, and, I, and I think with that, you know, our, our in-service a couple weeks ago, or a week ago that you gave, this idea of asking questions or, or creating an environment in class where, where multiple people are testifying of Christ, this is this chapter, these chapters, 50 to 53, really set themselves up to have a class experience of people bearing testimony. Whether, and not necessarily using the words, I want to bear my testimony. Right. Um, but just as they share their feelings and things. And so I, I, love, I love these verses simply because they are so obviously, in my head, so obviously centered on and, and talking about and prophesying about um, about the coming of Christ. And I guess as we, coming up on uh, general conference, could, yeah. verse 1, who hath believed our report? Who's the report? Who's giving the report of Jesus? It's the prophets. Yep. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's those who listen to the prophets. Yeah. And this weekend is our offer. I, this is, I refer to this as it's the Revelation Audubon. This is when, <laughs> this is when. Buckle up. Yeah, it's. Take your vitamins. <laughs> Malachi, when Malachi says the windows of heaven will be open, in my mind, this is the weekend when that's, when that happens. Yep. Love it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everybody. We will see you, uh, we'll, we'll see you, talk to you, hear you uh, in another week. Thanks again for joining us on take a second for come follow me brother black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints uh, brother black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of jesus christ and, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, 
that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.